Welcome, friends, to Making Disciples. My name is Chris and I am your host. I am so pleased that you've chosen to take some time out to invest into your relationship with God. This morning, this afternoon, this evening, I don't know when you're listening to this. Hey, for me, this is now four o'clock in the afternoon and it is absolutely tipping it down outside. We had a glorious sunny morning, but these April showers... Hey, they've shifted to the end of May. It's disgusting outside. But, yep, doesn't matter, does it? Because we are here to look at what uh, the Bible has to say uh, about our relationship with God. Discipleship is about us falling in love more with Jesus and seeing Jesus' impact in our lives. And I'm pleased that you want to invest into that relationship. This is so key uh, to seeing our lives flourish. Now, today I want to talk about worship. I want to talk about worship. I don't want to talk about singing or what songs we sing or what your preference of song worship is. And I'm not just talking about song worship. We're going to be talking about worship with the whole of our bodies. And for me, worship is something we do with our mouths. It is something that we do with our bodies and it is something we do with our entire lives. I'm not going to look at whole life discipleship today. Hey, you worship God uh, through your actions in your workplace, in your home, wherever you find yourself. You, you live out your life in such a way that you bring glory to God. That's whole life worship. Today, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wild worship this afternoon. There's a there's a kind of worship that you might have been a part of where it's controlled. It's very boxed. And I want to try and kick us into a place where we are pushing our worship out into a wilder place. I love the phrase rewilding. And if you've ever come across this, it's this idea that you take a place that has been controlled for a period of time, land that has been farmed on and controlled and that there's been fencing in place. And you make the choice to just let it go wild and feral again. So you take down the fence posts, you let the grass grow and then you let nature take its course, rewilding. I would love to say the church needs rewilding. Post this pandemic, maybe we can rewild the church. So this is what we're going to look at today, the idea of worship and wild worship and what it means to give all to Jesus in our sung worship time. You'll see what I mean by that in a little while. But here we go, friends. Welcome to Making Disciples. Wild worship for a wild God. Wild worship for a wild God. Let's jump into this topic for today. So I want to talk, to start with, about risk. I am somebody who genuinely uh, allows risk. I, I do like a bit of risk when it comes to trying new things, doing new things. And uh, I have do have a little reputation for being a bit of a risk taker and, and trying things. We we planted a church a few years ago, well, a number of years ago now, of our little church in East London, and we took a risk on it, and it nearly bankrupted us as the mothership. Uh, but it was so worth it. And, you know, we had sleepless nights over our finances afterwards because uh, that church plant really cost us. But you know what? The risk was worth it. You know, three or four years later, uh, where there had been a deficit, there no longer was a deficit. Risk actually created space for something pioneering and new. That's risk in one way, but there's another way that I am actually risk averse. When it comes to jumping off stuff or jumping into stuff, I am pretty risk averse. Uh, diving boards. I mean, 
People can't believe it when I say this, but I really don't do diving boards. The idea of jumping off something, for me, just feels ridiculous. It's stupid. It's like, why would you do that? Jumping off a diving board isn't going to kill you. All you do is you land in the water, but I can't do it. I, I physically cannot jump off the diving board. And years ago, when I was a youth worker, this would have been about 2003, I took my youth group uh, swimming to the local swim baths. They had a very high diving board, like 15 to 20 meters uh, high. And the young people uh, encouraged me to climb it, to jump off this diving board. And I got on the diving board and I stood there and I physically could not jump off it. And the youth group got everybody in the pool shouting, jump, 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 jump. And I just couldn't do it. And I ended up having to climb back down the diving board uh, to everybody booing at me because I wasn't able to jump off it. I just am not very good at jumping off stuff. I can't can't do it. The other thing I really struggle risk averse wise is swimming um, in pools where I can't see the floor. I could just work with me for a second. So uh, my father-in-law lived in France for a long time so we would love going on a summer holiday uh, with the kids and Bex and we'd go to France to visit them and there was an outdoor swimming pool that was naturally cleaned. Uh, They didn't use any particular uh, cleaning products, the water cleaned itself but the thing was this pool was incredibly deep which meant the water just looked black and um, my kids would run, jump in there, they'd swim around for hours If I got in that pool, I couldn't swim from the edge because I was just freaked out by the fact I could not see the bottom. And in my head, there was just these ideas of what could be down there lurking in the dark. So I'm actually quite risk averse. In some ways, I'm great at pushing myself into risk when it comes to stuff like church planting. When it comes to jumping off a diving board, I can't do it. If you said to me, Chris, I want you to move to this particular location and plant a church, I have no problem doing that. I can do that bit. If you said, Chris, jump off a diving board, I just cannot do it. I have friends who absolutely love risk. And I've got friends who absolutely hate risk taking. I'm one of those kind of people that really struggles with risk taking. And you'll see in a minute how that links to what I'm going to talk about with regard to risk taking. So I want to read to you a passage from James chapter 4, verse 8. It's just a shorty. And it says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near near to you. Now, what I love about that passage, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, is if you look at the original uh, language, the Greek that that's written in, I actually like to translate it a bit bit, bit differently. I, I like the word pursue God uh, and we find he is first pursuing us. You know, rather than saying draw near to God, but pursue God, go after God. It's another way of translating that Greek. So James 4, 8, pursue God and we find he is first pursuing us. We pursue God, we find that God is actually pursuing us. I I like that. I love the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son is out in the field. He's feeding the pigs and he makes a decision to return home to his dad. And we're told that he goes home and as he's on his way home, his father sees him far off and he's running towards him. When we return back to God, we actually find that God is also returning to us. He's kind of pursuing us. As we pursue God, God pursues us. And that's what happens in worship. In worship, as we turn our attention to God, we find that God has first turned his attention to us. And we meet with God in that place. That's what worship is. As we adore God, we find that God is there drawing close to us. But we have to ask ourselves a very difficult question. God, which God are we pursuing? 
which god are we pursuing it is possible to draw draw close to a frail fragile tame and weak god and then we think that it is jesus that we are pursuing it is possible to chase after or desire a version of god that is far smaller and tame and fragile than the actual god that we are meant to be worshiping we're meant to worship a god who is described as a holy fire a wild lion of judah not a caged animal but a wild lion of judah uh, we believe that god is a tsunami of holy wind look at the pentecost story as the wind of god blows we believe that god is a hurricane of holiness a passionate raging love at the center of the cosmos uh, we believe that god is abba daddy father uh, so this god that we worship is not tame fragile or weak he is this holy fire this wild lion this tsunami of holy wind this hurricane of holiness this passionate raging love at the center of the cosmos you cannot tame god so let's not be tamed in our worship of that god our worship should look like the God that we worship. Our worship should mirror the God that we are worshipping. My story is 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 this really. I I came to faith. Um, you know, I'd been around the church. My mum and dad uh, took me to church as a kid. I'd been around church, but it wasn't really till my mid-teens when um, I just felt like things weren't going well. I, I was meant to be doing my, well, I was doing my GCSEs, and I was really struggling. I'd basically been told that I was going to fail everything. I, I was dyslexic, struggled with English, and I was told that you, I was not going to do very well. And I just found that things started to crumble. It felt like I was crumbling around me some people watching me wouldn't have even seen that they wouldn't have noticed that because it was all internal so anxiety worry stress feeling like a failure um and with that I, I encountered Jesus I encountered Jesus by reading the gospels I took out this little red bible that the Gideons had given me and I read it and I found a Jesus that blew my mind he looked nothing like the Christians that I knew of he was radical he was different he was anti-religion he championed those on the edge the people that looked like they were the outcasts actually were woven into the center of what Jesus was doing and the people that were the religious leaders well he called them out for their behavior and said no you've completely missed the point I loved Jesus. Jesus was not some tame rabbi. No, he was wild. He was uncontrollable. You didn't know what Rabbi Jesus was going to do next. You didn't know where he was going to turn up and you didn't know who he was going to turn up with. I love it. That's the Jesus I fell in love with when I came to faith. And then I met religion. I met religiosity. I ended up going to the theological college, which I would say was brilliant. It was amazing. It was fantastic. I learned so much about God at theological college whilst at the same time, I felt that my radical, uh, spirit-filled life, this encounter with God, this Jesus that I found in Scripture, got squeezed out. I, in, in studying God, I somehow lost the energy of who this God was. He became controlled and tamed as I understood him in, in written form, as I wrote essays about this God. I somehow missed, and I'm, that's not me knocking theology. No, 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 at all. I, I love theology. I, 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 it's who I am. I, I live and breathe what I would describe as urban theology. I want to understand God in context of scripture, context of the world around me. But whilst I was at theological college, I felt that something got squeezed out. My passion 
got squeezed. My faith just got conformed as it fit into a box. You fit into an essay. You fit into 2,500 uh, 2, words of thinking. I just lost something. God would not be worth worshipping if he was tameable. God is wild. God is uh, overwhelming. He's wild, uncontrollable, wholly untamable, raging love at the centre of all things. Yet at the same time, that God is gentle, pure, merciful. He's a compassionate daddy. So God is uncontrollable. He's uncontainable. He's wild. But sometimes the things that are there to maybe help us understand God or help us engage with God, they end up taming God or we end up taming God with those things. And sometimes our worship becomes tamed because we need to control that worship because either a set of time or a period of time that we need to worship God in. And you know what? It has been really hard this season. Worship has worship has been harder than ever because you... You've not been able to sing and hear other people's voices. It's been in people's living rooms, uh, being watched through a live stream. It, for me, has lost something. We as a church have been gathering together again recently in our evening service. There's just been something special about being together, kind of mumbling along in our worship under our masks. There's been something powerful. Uh, but we control worship to make it fit in a box in a building. And we need to rewild our worship. Which leads me to think, well, do I need to rewild my heart when it comes to the way that I worship God? When we pursue God, we come to realise that he cannot be controlled, he cannot be tamed, he cannot be made small. God in worship, as we pursue him, expands, gets bigger, gets more glorious, almighty and powerful. When we pursue God, we realise that God is untamable. James 4, 8. As we pursue God, we find that he is pursuing us. And as we do that, our mind is blown by the greatness of this almighty, powerful, uh, wild lion of Judah, this hurricane of holiness, this raging love at the center of the universe just expands and gets bigger. As we chase God, we become gloriously ruined by him and his presence as we pursue God God is pursuing us and as God pursues us we encounter this incredible untamable God and in that place we get ruined by him we get slain by him we are given over to him but there's a danger that our worship is controlled and this isn't about the person at the front and what song they sing or what instruments they play we can control our worship personally ourselves. How often do we stand up in worship, in, in a place of worship, and with our hands in our pockets? Uh, we control our worship. We control our response to God. We keep it measured. We don't want to be seen as, as being overboard. But in that, we end up missing out on what God has for us. And this is where I want to be pushing into now. David, King David got this. King David understood what it meant to be a wild worshipper. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where I want us to head. Uh, 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to read uh, just a couple of verses uh, from there, verses 4 and 5, and then I'm going to just skip down to verse 13 and 14. So let me just bring this, uh, read this for you. So they brought the ark of God 
from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. So they're moving the Ark of the Covenant here from the safe house that it has been in back into Jerusalem, okay? And it says this, And uh, Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. David, this is King David, and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. So they're walking with the Ark of the Covenant from the safe house to where it's now going to be stored again in Jerusalem. And as they walk, they are not just walking along. This is no somber affair. This is a worship celebration. The worship team are on the move with the Ark of the Covenant uh, following them or with them. And it says that as they worship the God, worship God they did so with uh, caissonets, harps, lyres, timbrels, uh, sistrums, and uh, cymbals. So they're walking with the worship. They're worshipping. The worship team are walking with the Ark of the Covenant, and King David is going with them. Now, the next verses, verse 13, tells us just a little bit about how King David is, uh, is worshipping. Now, let's just picture this. This is King David. Think about the Queen of England for a moment. This is easy for those of us from the UK. The American listeners may struggle with this, but think about the Queen of England. Have you ever seen the Queen of England dance? Have you ever seen the Queen of England smile? Now, that's a whole other ball game. You know, she is serious all the time. Now, the great thing about Queen of England is she actually loves the Lord. If you've never heard the Queen do a Queen speech, you are seriously missing out. She's one of the greatest evangelists of our time. She's amazing the way that she talks about Jesus. But you've never seen her out of control. And this is what you see King David do. So verse 13 of chapter Samuel 2, chapter 6, verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord came, had taken six steps, the sac uh, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Verse 14, this is King David. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Another way of translating that would be David was dancing before the Lord recklessly, recklessly. Um, David is wearing nothing but a linen ephod. Let's just make this super clear for a moment. An ephod. A linen ephod is nothing but a pair of pants. And when I say pants, I don't mean American understanding of pants as in trousers. I mean your underwear. King David is naked with nothing but his white underpants on, his underwear on. That's all he's got. He's naked from kind of pants down his knees to his feet. and He's naked on his top half. He is naked in nothing but his pants, his underwear. And he is dancing while the worship leaders lead the song worship. So as they carry the Ark of the Covenant through the streets. David is dancing like a fool. He's all in. He's given it the lot. He's at the nightclub on a Friday night, dancing to Fatboy Slim, giving him all the best moves. He is dancing like a king in the street, and he does not care what anybody else says King David is worshipping with everything. It's all out there. David does not want to be accused by anyone for not giving the worship his all. He's giving 
everything to God in those dance moves that he is busting. And he looks ridiculous because he's in nothing but his underwear. But does David care? No. Why? Because he knows the one that he worships is the true one that is interested in what he looks like. The one that he's worshipping is more important to David than anybody else that's noticing. How can David do this? How can he dance like this? How can he look like a fool? David can do this because he is an appropriate awe and wonder of his God. David can do this because he is an appropriate awe and wonder of his God. It's God Yahweh that he's dancing before. He's giving it all because he knows that God is worth it. Then verse 16, let me just read this to you. This is where it gets super fun. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw how King David, leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was uh, dis- she despised him in her heart. Now, this is King David's early wife. This is before Bathsheba, okay? This is his early wife. And as David is dancing through the streets, Michal, who was the daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and she sees King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And it says that she despised him. She looked at him and said, what a fool what an idiot what does he think he is doing how can he behave like that does he not realize what everybody around is thinking about him right now he is losing credibility by using those dance moves in worship who does he think he is have you ever stood in church Have you ever stood at a Christian conference and you've seen somebody worshipping in the room and they're worshipping in such a way you look at them and you go, what an idiot. Gosh, how can they worship God like that? Do they realise how much of a fool they look? Have you ever been in church and you've seen how somebody else has got their hands in the air or the way that they're shaking their booty in worship and you think to yourself, that's disgusting, how can you do that? that how can you look like that in the church that that is exactly what Michal daughter of Saul wife of David was doing she despised him in her heart she turned her heart against David the fear of losing control had led Michal to hold back it all went wrong the moment she watched from the window it goes wrong for us the moment we, when we don't enter the room or the moment that we sit at the edge. If you are somebody that sits at the back of church and despises how others worship, you are just like her. If you are at the edge watching how others engage with God and you critical of them, then you are being exactly like her and it's gone all wrong. It went all wrong the moment she sat at the edge. It all went wrong the moment she sat at the back. It all went wrong the moment she was in the window. She should have been in the street worshipping. But something had gone wrong in her heart and she was hiding at the back. She could not take the risk. She couldn't do it. And therefore her heart had turned and she despised David and the way that he worshipped. This 
passage from 2 Samuel 6 is a call to be like David. I'll become more undignified than this, is what David says. When she approaches David and says, David, how can you do that? King David turns to her and says, ha, 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 if you think that is being foolish, I'll become even more undignified than this. I will become undignified for God because that is who God is and what he deserves. So risk. Low risk is low return. If you're doing a financial investment, you don't understand that if you invest in something that is low risk, you'll have a low return. If you invest your finances into something that's medium risk, you'll have a medium return. You'll get a little bit more money back. It's a bit more risky, but your potential to get more back. If you invest your money into something that's high risk, you could lose it all or you could gain everything. You could have a high return. David takes a risk. I want to encourage us to take some risks in worship. David risks everything. Mikhail risks nothing. David knew God. Mikhail didn't. Don't be like her. Be like him. Be like David. Risk yourself in worship. Risk looking like a fool. Risk it all because God is worth it. And your relationship with God is worth it. The more you risk, the more you will get in return. Pursue God and find he is first pursuing you. Draw close to God and you'll find that he is drawing close to you. Risk everything with God and you'll find that God is right there. He is with you. David knew God. Mikhail didn't. It all went wrong for, the, for her the moment she sat at the edge. Don't sit at the edge. Lean in. Be in the centre of it all. When you arrive at church next, sit in the middle. Sit on the front row. Lean in. Don't lean out. Risk it all because it's worth it with God. And if you pursue God, then you'll find out that God is also pursuing you. So find a new way of worshipping that is wild. Rewild yourself to worship. Don't hold back. Now, I am not saying turn up to church on Sunday wearing nothing but a pair of underpants. I am not saying that. But don't be the person that stands at the side with their hands in the pockets holding back. The only person that will be disappointed in worship is yourself because you are missing out on encountering the wild lion of Judah. You are the one that's going to miss out on the tsunami of holy wind, this hurricane of holiness. If you withhold yourself in worship, then you're the one who will miss out. Friends, I pray that you found that helpful, inspiring, encouraging. Risk it. Risk it all for the Lord. It's worth it. Now, until next time, look after yourselves. Enjoy worship, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.